Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck? A show that explores the power of human connection and the profound resilience of the human spirit through compassionate conversations that help you better understand yourself so you can live with the sense of peace, purpose, and joy that you deserve. Each episode offers a safe space for guests to share intimate details of their personal journey and lessons learned along the way as we all seek to answer life's most important question. Who the fuck am I? Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce and you're listening to Who the Fuck. Today I'm sharing the mic with Fallon Morningstar and Fallon's a functional health practitioner with a mission to help women improve their metabolism, energy, and emotional connection with themselves. And through her practice, Fallon uses holistic and alternative methods alongside functional lab testing and other resources to provide support for those seeking to improve their overall well-being. So welcome to the show, Fallon. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is going to be a really great conversation. And so to kind of just dive right in, what we originally spoke about was the way that you became initially aware of and involved in integrative health. And I feel like that is a term that might elude some people who are not totally familiar with it. So before we go too far down the rabbit hole of what you do at large, could you share a little bit about what integrative health is specifically for anyone who might not know? Yeah, it's a great question and great place to start. Essentially, integrative health is looking at the entire person. We're not specifically looking at the mind like a psychotherapist may or a gastroenterologist looking at the gut. We are looking at the entire person, the physical body, the emotional body, the energetic body, the spiritual body, and kind of seeing how disharm like where disharmony is happening and mm-hmm. working together to to bring back this state of ease and happiness. Yeah. So when you mentioned those things, first of all, I feel like it's so valuable to have perspective on that because growing up, you know, so much of what I was taught, and I think a lot of people are taught, especially older than ourselves, is you know, you pay attention to things sort of based on symptoms you're experiencing. And so you end up treating symptoms and not really treating what the actual underlying problem or cause might be. And so when you think about caring for the whole person and in the line of work that you do, obviously, at least, and I want to say, obviously, I assume that part of what you're doing is helping people identify that. And then there might be other areas where they have to seek help from other types of practitioners. So if you recognize something's emotional or potentially something sort of out of your wheelhouse from a health perspective, do you work with other practitioners or help refer people to other practitioners based on what you find sort of in your realm of work? Yeah, that's another great question. So really as a practitioner, and the practitioners that went through the same certification as what I did, we are basically following the principle that general principles of health building outperform specific treatments. So we have, you know, lifestyle suggestions to give to everybody and we add in lab testing to help us develop a protocol. But say if somebody has, they got Lyme disease, we found out they have Lyme or something else. I'm not a huge advocate for Lyme. I don't know the nuances. So there are different practitioners that maybe they had Lyme and that is what they now help other people with. Mm-hmm. So in cases like that, we there's a whole hundreds, 
of practitioners that I have access to that I would love if I, if I don't know the answer, I will find somebody that helps you know the answer. And that's awesome. Yeah. And I, I think that's such an important thing too, because when it comes to what essentially is medical, whether that is, you know, sort of Western medicine or holistic sort of perspectives, the thing that I've found so challenging in my adult life, especially because as the adult, you have to manage your own appointments with people and all of the documentation that's kind of getting cross-referenced is trying to get practitioners to speak to one another and under, make sure that they understand sort of where you've come from and what other treatments have been in place or suggested. And so it's great to hear that you have a network of people who are in your field that you can also um, solicit advice or or share feedback with and try to solve those problems or help route people in the right direction out of the gate because it, you know, I think there's kind of nothing worse as somebody who's seeking help than feeling like you're just getting bounced around from people who haven't been talking about (laughs) things. And so you're just constantly repeating what it is that you're experiencing and not really feeling like you're getting resolution. So that's just, I think, overall, something that's super important to, to know and to understand about the people that you're working with as practitioners. So I'm curious now that we've kind of covered that base and I appreciate you getting to that first thing. What actually led you to learning more about this field and ultimately getting your certification here? So it was really when my symptoms were getting too heavy for me to handle that I needed to seek outside help because I didn't have direction on how to help heal myself. Mm-hmm. I went to my family doctor and I went to my gynecologist and they didn't, neither of them helped me solve anything. I was really left with even more questions than when I came in. I had no knowledge of what functional health really was and nor do a majority of the population. I wasn't, I wouldn't consider myself a holistic type of person. However, I did follow, you know, eating my healthy macros of protein, carbs, and fats. And I thought I was doing the right things, but I was having all of these symptoms. And so when I saw my physician, I looked fine on the outside. And that is what he said to me. Well, you look much better than a lot of people around this area. And I was like, well, I don't feel good. Something is going on. And we went through just a basic blood panel, you know, looking at cholesterol, looking at, you know, a TSH level, the the basic blood test that you might get. What's a TSH level? It's a thyroid stimulating hormone. Okay, thank it's you. It's a typical one marker looking at your your thyroid, which is not comprehensive at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> so anyway, nothing showed up. And I was like, well, I think it's my hormones. I'm dealing with this, this, and this, you know, extreme fatigue being in large part the main s- symptom. So he really left me with more questions. And then when I saw my gynecologist, because I had just stopped the hormonal birth control pill, she had asked me, you know, what contraceptive would you like to be on next? And I was like, well, I'd like to actually allow my natural cycle to come back and, and everything. And it it was like, she didn't know how to direct me. Because you didn't, because you weren't ready to just try another medication that could be prescribed to potentially resolve the issue, but maybe not because most medication is trial and error. I guess I was just like, I've been seeing you since I've been 16 and, you know, I was 26 at that time. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I need to look somewhere else. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> um, thankfully, I had a mutual friend that was involved with the same company as what I have the certification. And when I went through the food sensitivity test, the stool test and the hormone test, that validated so much of the concerns that I had and the symptoms that I had. And the shifts in my lifestyle were that transformative that I was just like, I have to take this certification. And that's how I became a practitioner. I love that. I feel like there's kind of no better way to encourage people to look into different healing modalities, whether that's physical, emotional, whatever it might be. Because when you've actually experienced it yourself, it it's an immediate testimony, right? I actually was just speaking with somebody on an intro call about some of the work that they do and how they've healed through a lot of their experiences. And it just really, I think it just makes it so much more approachable as a topic for people who don't understand it. It's like, okay, but let me explain to you why I did this and how it helped. It's not just, you're not getting a hard sell. You're not trying to pitch it to somebody. You're trying to help people understand that they don't have to live with chronic pain or suffering or whatever the the symptom might be. And so I really applaud your commitment to trying to go that layer deeper, however many layers deeper you had to go to get the understanding that you needed. Because I had mentioned to you, one of my friends recently got her certification in the same field as well. Uh, the exact things that I don't know, I'm not going to speak to. And I do still owe you that connection. But she and I were talking about this and she's dealt with a lot of gut health issues over the years. And she's like, I was just so tired of feeling dismissed by my medical providers. And it's frustrating because especially in the US, like we pay a lot for healthcare. So if you don't have the means to go and get feedback that provides you with actual tangible results for your condition or your healing journey, whatever it might be, then you're going to have to continue down that path. And every time you do that, that's costing you money and not a lot of people can afford to continue investigating things or they don't have the knowledge to even think that that's what they should do. So I wonder from your side of things, do you feel like when you end up working with people that a lot of times they're kind of coming from this place of I've tried everything I can think of in sort of the standard format, but now I just, I don't know what else to do. And so this is something I've started to explore for myself. Yeah. I think on one of the questions on my intake process is, you know, what have you tried and mm -hmm. that hasn't worked. And there are some clients that they have seen their family physician, they have seen a gastro, they have seen a chiropractor, they have seen, you know, what other, any modality that they've tried. And there's still like some lingering symptoms. Maybe they, that helped a little bit, but then maybe another symptom come up, came up or, or maybe that came, their original symptom came back with a vengeance because it's not like it's addressing the entire system. And granted, things are going to come up and that's just part of your life journey for you to explore and to look deeper into. I know, you know, healing some of the original symptoms that I was dealing with, some more things appeared, not necessarily symptom, physical symptom related, but emotional related, you know, the, the door of trauma. And so it's just the next step in your journey of, of what to explore. But I will say just 
I think that the main thing is to listen to your gut and to listen to your intuition, because if you're not getting the answers, then just go somewhere else. Yeah. And I like that you said that because as you were explaining your thought there, I was thinking it's so much that we have, we have to think about it as why is this happening? Not just what is happening. And I think kind of the way the system works today, medically speaking, and it's, it's evolving, right? Because there are people like you out there who are, who are raising awareness and very clearly having exposure to different platforms. The internet is drastically changing the proliferation of this type of information as well, which I think is a really beautiful thing. Obviously we have to be conscious of things that are validated versus not validated, but you know, it, it's not just the, the thing that we're experiencing, as you pointed out, that is the all-encompassing issue that we're facing. And when you made the comment about, you know, kind of that door to trauma, it's something that, you know, so many people, I believe, think that they don't have any sort of trauma. And if I hadn't gone through a vast amount of really traumatic things in an extremely condensed timeline, I probably would have been one of those who was like, oh, really? I mean, Maybe, you know, one of my best friends died when I was 16. That was really difficult, but it was sort of secondary trauma, right? Like it, it, something tragic happened, somebody who was close to me. But at the same time, it's like so much of what we hold on to physically and the whole concept of sort of the somatic experience. It's like from the ages of zero to six, things that are most formative in our lives most of it we can't remember because we were zero to six. So if you don't ask yourself, why is this happening? And you then don't take the journey into why that's happening. Not to say it's always those age groups, but it's like, if you're not willing to ask yourself the hard questions, then you're not necessarily going to get the answers that you need. And so I think trying to remember that whether it is something that is phenomenally significant and you can be like, yes, that's clearly a traumatic experience that I had and it's it must be affecting me somehow. Or you just kind of start to go back and think about the things that maybe it could have been this or maybe it could have been that and allowing yourself to sit with the reality of what your life has been and acknowledging that trauma doesn't have to be this immediately life-shifting experience. It can be series of events over time. It can be small, thi small things that have big impacts on our lives. So I'm kind of wondering from your standpoint, when we think about that trauma being stored in your body, like how have either you personally or even just as a professional seen the way that that manifests as symptoms? Yeah, that's a great question. And to give you an example, there is a client of mine that one of her main symptoms is infertility, but also anxiety. And certainly those are linked you know, we might just think anxiety is all in our mind while infertility is a, is a couple of these organs, but really us exploring some of her past, there was no evidence of severe traumatic experiences in her past. However, she does recall being very connected with mom, you know, kind of being upset if, you know, she wasn't around mom. And that's, sort of like an attachment experience, or it can be considered a type of trauma, like whatever has experienced in whatever she experienced in her life for 
that emotional connection with mom to be a little bit triggering if she's not in the room or if she left for work or or whatever, that can develop into that anxiety. And certainly anxiety is related to infertility. You know, one of the tests, two of the tests showed very low immune system, almost completely shut down. And that is because that overactive fight or flight for almost her entire life because of the anxiety and that mm-hmm. can impact her infertility. Right. So it's just like this really beautiful synchronicity that we have the capacity to become aware of mm-hmm. and just observe, oh, that can be linked. Okay, well, like, what can we do about that? How can we help support ourselves and not blame the past, not be angry. Well, we can be angry and acknowledge the anger, but you know, just kind of accepting. Right. Not live in the you, anger, right? Because there's only so much that you can do with that. It it reaches a point of being unproductive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I hope that that was a, a nice example just to see there was no traumatic event, but just how our neurological system develops from yeah. the ages of zero to six. You know, it's interesting too that you gave that example because I was saying just the other day how, so growing up, I had this just very intense fear of my parents dying. And one day in like partner reading in fourth grade, I had this like visceral reaction where I was like, I think my parents are going to die today. And it's like, there wasn't like an obvious trigger. I hadn't experienced any, not that I can recall any death in my, in my youth at that point that would make me think that. And in therapy over the past couple of years, and especially because I did lose my mom recently, and that was really like my lifelong biggest fear, was going through sort of that emotional exercise and realizing, okay, well, there are two things that could have really contributed to this anxiety that I've had my entire life. One was when I was two months old, I had pneumonia. So I was in the hospital and my mom couldn't be in the hospital room with me all the, t- all the time. And so when you're that young and your primary caregiver's not there, you have no idea you're nonverbal. Like you, you don't remember when you're two months old. So certainly like there's something in your body that's responding to that. And the other was when we were in a car accident, I think it was maybe five or so, and it was a really bad car accident. I don't remember it at all. And I I was concussed. So that could be part of why I don't remember it as opposed to like the age, but my mom and I were more badly hurt than my sister. And just kind of having that moment of, I don't remember what happened in that accident, but I could very well have feared that my mom died, right? And so if you're going through your whole life having this anxiety and never really thinking, where could this stem from? You're not ever really going to be able to tackle, like even just kind of how to prevent the onset of that. Yeah, yeah, I I love you sharing that example. I think that's relatable to a lot of people, just like having that anxiety, not, not necessarily pinpointing the story behind why it's present. You know, brings up another example. I know my family and majority of families maybe express things of, you know, be a good girl and don't cry or, you know, talking about our private parts or our, you know, labeling our vagina or our pussy as these private parts or these things. And then us not honoring those parts or I love that you just said this. I have to interject. I this is gonna be super quick. Nicole and I were literally talking about this 48 hours ago. We were like it it's like it very I think unintentionally 
builds a sense of like shame around your femininity or or even just your your biology, whether you're male or female or whatever gender you might identify as. It's like we speak to it as that is that is something that should not be exposed, should not be addressed. And and when it is like there's very like specific intentions around it. And I think that from a protective space as a parent, I can understand that. I can understand wanting to make sure your kids are aware that like what is okay and what's not okay. Right. But I, the fact that you're bringing this up right now is just like talking about synchronicities. It's so ridiculous because I have never had this conversation with my wife until two days ago. Sorry. So go on. (laughs) No, I love that. And I think, I think it's becoming more, there's more awareness growing around it, which is so cool to see. And I know even for myself, it's still very new because that does create shame. That does create this lack of confidence in your sexuality because you don't feel like you should be exploring it. Mm -hmm. It's it's bad. Right. When you get your cycle, let's shove a tampon up there and take a mitol and have it be that and not just go do it. Go about your day. Keep doing what you need to do. And you're like, seriously though, (laughs) like not honoring, like how cool is that for one and another, you should not be having like all of this PMS, this cramping, like that's not normal yeah. uh, typically. But yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because, you know, families, you know, grandmother, mom talking about things that I didn't consider that to be trauma. Like no one's hurting me, but that verbal interaction and seeing how they treat their bodies and what they're you know, sharing with their children, it that does create trauma and it creates a disconnection from one of our main pleasure sources, power sources, whatever, our confidence and our security or safety is definitely impacted. So I would consider that trauma. That's such a great perspective. I love that you just shared that too, because, you know, it. we were watching this show somewhat recently. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or seen it. It's called Naked Attraction. And the whole premise is basically, it's a dating show. It's it's kind of weird, honestly, in the sense of it's so atypical. But basically, they have people in these pods, essentially. And the person who's trying to, I guess, pick a date or whatever is fully clothed at the point with the host, but then they're lifting up the kind of the, let's say the shield in front of the pot, essentially. They're raising it kind of from the bottom up. So they're seeing these people naked, like from like basically their feet to their waist and then the, then up to their neck and then their full body. And then they hear their voice. And that's sort of like, they're eliminating people throughout the process. And we were telling one of our friends about this show and she's like, it just sounds so superficial. And I said, I totally agree with you that it sounds that way. But what's amazing about this, and I think it's probably because a good portion of these people are most likely Gen Zers. And so it's like, there's, I think, just a more of an openness and willingness to discuss those things than, I mean, I'm a millennial, an elder millennial. So I, I don't think I fell in the area of being that comfortable with my body and my sexuality at a younger age. You know, I was still in the mindset of, you know, the magazines are showing sort of like that cocaine chic, super thin, like this is not a normal body, but we expect people to have a kind of face. So anyway, we're watching the show and it was so cool to watch the people who are basically talking to the host about like, what do they like? What are they not like? It wasn't just like, oh, I'm objectifying somebody. It was genuinely like one guy saying, well, I thought I preferred this type of vagina, but it actually turns out that I think after looking at all of these that they're great, you know? And it's like, so, so it's funny because, you know, I think we, 
we also cater to the conversation in a way where it's like, we not only feel shameful, maybe talking about ourselves or talking about other people as if we're objectifying them, but so many people walked away from this experiment. Basically, they could have been the first person eliminated. And they're like, but it did amazing things for my confidence because it just like really showed me, you know, that I don't have to think about these things the way that I used to. I don't have to assign shame to my body. I can be more open-minded. And so I feel like, as you said, we're coming to a point in society where the desire is to have that deeper connection to ourself, which is obviously a, a really the main function of what you're trying to do once you um, kind of go past all of the actual medical and and sort of holistic collective spiritual, meaning holistic, meaning like broadly things that you do. It's like you really in doing those things seek to help people get to that place where they're like, I understand who I am from the inside out and I can live my life without having this either discomfort or sense of judgment, whatever that might be. And I think that that's just so impactful to hear you speak of it that way. And particularly around the feminine energy, because that's something that it's funny to hear you speak about um, the menstrual cycle as, as beautiful and amazing. And I'm like, I hate that shit. Like I just, I can't, but I get really bad cramps and I can get really nauseous. And I will tell you that what blew my mind is that I was with my ex for over a decade and it was a really, really psychologically abusive relationship. And I had probably the worst periods of my life during that. And I would say within less than a year of leaving that and now being in a really healthy relationship, I was like, it's amazing. Like I still get like a little bit of cramping, but the fact that it's not the way that it used to be at all, I was like, this is very clearly related. It's so obviously related. And mm -hmm. I, it didn't even occur to me because I just, it had been happening so consistently for so long that it was like, oh, this is just the way that it is. I tried birth control. That didn't work, right? Because it wasn't about the hormones. It was about the stress and the trauma that I was incurring. And so I think it's just really great to hear people like yourself and women like really claiming that for ourselves too, instead of seeing it as a taboo to talk about. Yeah, I love that you shared that. And I, I think... You know, sometimes we approach getting healthier from maybe going to see a therapist and like after some time, maybe then they suggest you should go see your primary care. Like maybe you have some gut issues while you might see another person approaching it as working on their gut, working on their rest and their exercise. And then they dive into something more emotional related, like, like therapy. So it's kind of like this you know, you typically see one or the other, but when we're working together on all of it, I know for me, it was really like focused on that, more of that structure, that masculine, let's test, let's do the diet. Let's yeah, do yeah. the then, tactical approach to getting there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a lot of, a lot of people like that I typically work with. Cause it's like, I need to see that on paper and then let's, let's get to it. You know, that, that driven, um, woman. And then it opens up to, oh, I don't have to, like, why am I so rigid? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, yeah. And then the trauma concept comes in and then it's like, oh, there's actually masculine feminine energies. Wait a second. Why do I have this like wounded feminine or this shielded masculine? And then it's just like something else to explore of what is like, how do you want to function? What is your core energy? Because I know a lot of women, if we're in that structure, 
if we're in, you know, having your own business can be a lot of structure, can be a lot of goal oriented. And then I, or even the corporate life will bring in, you know, then mm-hmm. the nine to five that burnt me out. Same. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, something is definitely to this because women shouldn't be in those types of environments, in my opinion. And it's just like society pushes us that, that way. And yeah. we'll continue to do that. It's it's cool to hear you say that because it's it's such a, an evolved way of thinking when you step away from the way things have been architected historically. It's funny because a couple of years ago, I don't think it ever even occurred to me. No, I know it didn't even occur to me to ever think about society in terms of the patriarchy and the way that just a nine to five job has sort of been built. And then the expectations of women and really the responsibility of doing a lot um, of of combined work, even when they're part of a, a couple, and especially if it's a heteronormative relationship, right? Like women take on a lot of responsibility in the home, at work, with children, et cetera. And it's like the fact that more people can communicate more widely about the way that they're feeling and the things that they can manage or don't want to manage or feel could be better or optimized for the way that we exist. It's like the conversation can finally be had. And so the more that we can show up and share that information and help people feel seen and heard and understood, the more we can start to try to shift the mentality and create more space for things that make our lives better. Like we're not meant to be here to just grind it out and feel like shit all the time. We're meant to be here to show up as our full selves and to be able to give our best selves to, first of all, our own self, but then to the people and and the world around us. And I would never have gotten to this place in the last few years if I didn't just start to kind of carve space for those discussions to happen. And I remember feeling kind of uncomfortable the first time it was actually um, a social media manager that I had who became a friend of mine and she was speaking about the patriarchy. And I was kind of like, oh, I'm like, and then I, you know, I caught myself in the moment and was like, I'm, I'm dismissing this when I've never really thought about it. So why am I dismissing it? Let's go there. Let's have the conversation. And it's like those little moments where you just like crack the door open and give yourself some, some time to really digest it. You start to have a new perspective. And I, I think when, you're encountering these scenarios that have just been so ingrained in us as the way that it's done and the way that we are, you are challenged to step away from that. So you can decide if that's actually right for you or what you want. And so I really appreciate you speaking to that point because it's not, it's not big enough of a conversation right now, in my opinion. So I I think this is so great to be able to have that as even just a soundbite in this episode to share with people and to kind of crack that door for them and hopefully give them an opportunity to dive into maybe those are the thoughts they've had in the back of their head that they're like, yeah, but why would I say anything about it? Or nobody else feels that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Guaranteed other people feel that way. Yeah. (laughs) And when you were speaking about the impact of just kind of the burnout and not feeling like a nine to five job is is the right thing for you and and for many people, myself included, my life and overall health satisfaction, well-being has improved so much since I went 
part-time doing contract work and doing my podcast because I'm fulfilling more of my personal purpose and I'm also paying the bills, which takes away some of the other anxiety. So when you think about sort of those moments where you're in a heightened state of either anxiety or stress or sort of emotional dysregulation, what what would you say is a good way for people to kind of start finding the balance or explore ways for them to get to a place where they're more regulated and they can make more intentional decisions around like what they're actually doing and why they should do the things that that really feed their soul? Yeah, I love that question. And I feel like sometimes symptoms are the thing that's talking to you to go explore and try because I know with a lot of my symptoms like the fatigue, muscle soreness, hair loss, strange body odor, you know, insomnia, like those symptoms, they were a wake up call to me to say, to be like, okay, something is wrong. Let's go take a look at it. And then the door opened up of, wow, I, I can't handle this nine to five. Let's, or I can't handle this job. It was in government. And I shifted to, <laughs> I shifted to insurance again, and more of a flexible, but still a typical corporate job. And I was like, wow, I can't do this either. Like, this doesn't light me up. I feel like I'm in prison. <laughs> even I though get I have, that. I totally even get I haven't that. been there. Like, I can't compare, but <laughs> just no, mean, it's, like, but it's like, like an emotional, pain. yeah, it's an emotional restriction. I think in a lot of ways, emotional, mental. Yeah. And then I shifted to more a, um, like a part-time remote work for a little bit. And then I moved into my own business, but I'm thinking now, like I cannot go back to something like that. And through those steps and through those different experiences of those jobs, learning more about my health, I became more aware. And I think awareness of yourself is the key to be able to then change. For so if you're sure. Feeling- overwhelmed with anxiety, whatever. I think the first thing I would honestly do is stop and take a pause, like five second pause, and then start to breathe differently. Yeah. It'll put you back in the present moment. It'll be like, okay, I'm safe in this office right now. Like nothing's, nothing's happening to me. My system is okay. And I think if we can change our breath to more of a belly breath, like a diaphragmatic breath rather than a chest or throat breath that will be able to bring us back into that present moment like i said and and from there then you might have the opportunity or the capacity to be like this keeps happening how can i get help for it mm-hmm. what's interesting that you brought up sort of that concept of breath work and being able to pull yourself into that present moment because in my own experience with anxiety and and just witnessing people who have it as well it's been really advantageous. I know you and I have both talked about our own meditation practices and how that can be super healing. And these were things that years ago wouldn't have even considered, wouldn't have explored, wouldn't have thought to explore, probably would have dismissed, quite honestly, if I hadn't already actively dismissed it. And and even similar when I was starting therapy, you know, I have a, a great therapist who is so consistently kind of up to speed and ahead of the game with like her practice and the way that she approaches things. And recently actually said, you know, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but I do like just, I pay a lot of attention and learn a lot about like the feminine energy and sort of that embodiment and things like that. And I said, no, we've never talked about this. And it's coming up a lot lately in conversations I've been having. And so it's just really great to hear how like 
these different things that, you know, especially in in the recent past, people haven't really known as options to explore further. And I I wonder, you know, because a lot of people are, I, I think societally, as as you point out, we're conditioned to kind of believe that, you know, it is what it is. Like, what are you going to do about it? You know, you're a small piece of the puzzle and what are the odds that you can change it? And first of all, my sense on that is always power in numbers, keep talking, keep sharing and, and keep building community around it. But as an individual person, like you are always responsible for being your number one advocate. So if you need something to change, it's about being open-minded enough to explore what your options are. And, you know, when we were, um, talking at the start of the conversation and I was saying, you know, I've been dealing with some of um, like these psoriasis flare-ups that I've never had before. I didn't even know that I I had it. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I have to start doing things differently. And I don't know what would have caused this. And so of course, as most of us do, we Google things. We're right. We're like, what does the internet have to say about this? How can I help myself? I'm wondering from your perspective, what do you see as sort of a good balance between you know, the things that we can control, like dietary modification, physical exercise, meditation, sort of that spiritual wellness side of it. And I guess really other modalities, if, if they come to mind, those are the ones where my brain's stopping on right now. But what do you think is sort of important for people who are trying to find that rhythm, trying to find that path forward for them? Man, you know, I struggle with that sometimes too, because, you know, life can certainly get overwhelming. But I think What's coming to mind to have that balance is to have the time by yourself to have introspection. You can better evaluate that way, zero sound, or you can have some nice, nice frequencies going, whatever suits your mood. <clears throat> but having that time alone is going to help you evaluate your life. Journaling, writing down, I have some bloating coming up, or I have some anxiety and actually taking inventory of your life. And it's okay that you don't know the answer just yet, but just having the introspection gives you that capacity to uh, allow some space. Yeah. When you allow some space, synchronicities keep coming in because the universe is always supporting us always. And when we have that rounded, when we're conscious that's when we can hear things. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm really glad that you mentioned sort of the taking inventory. The idea of taking inventory is something that I really appreciate because I would say without a doubt, and I'm a very introspective person, the thing that I don't practice, and I was about to say very well, but the answer is at all, and is is that act of really even especially documenting it and and being like what is it that could could be contributing to this i think i have a lot of sort of retrospect i understand that's what it was or that's what it is so i won't do it anymore but when you're talking about things like adjusting your diet or things in your lifestyle that you could change that might be contributing to the the lack of well-being that you're experiencing my biggest issue is a fear of that accountability. It's like, I get stressed out because it feels like another thing that I have to plan, another thing I have to pay attention to. And the overwhelm that comes with 
now I have to do that. And then what happens if the results of that dictate that I have to do something else? I imagine that's probably something that a lot of people experience because it feels daunting to take on. Do you have any advice for kind of getting yourself over that hump? Because first of all, I'm open-minded to it now because I'm realizing, well, you can't sit here and be like, you want your life to be better and then be like, but I'm not going to do those things that would actively contribute to it. So I I'd just love to know if you have any thoughts on sort of those of us who fear the accountability of taking inventory. Yeah, I I think one of the practices that I do and actually I've been lacking here for the past week is the introspection part. I would literally in the evenings, I would write down what went well in the day, everything that went well, a conversation, somebody that waved to me in the car, whatever comes up. And then number two, what could I improve on? Not necessarily what went badly, but what could I improve on? Writing all that down like, oh, well, you know, I had something to eat that I wasn't supposed to, whatever it is. I didn't drink enough water, blah, blah, blah. I didn't get to the laundry that I wanted to get to. And then the third question is, what are my intentions for tomorrow? How can I set my day up tomorrow that is the most successful, that's the most productive yet flexible because, you know, it's kind of balancing the masculine feminine. You know, how can I still flow, but get some stuff done? And that has been a game changer for me to have the accountability, but not the overwhelm. And I think there's something else I was going to say there about that. It made me think about when you were speaking to the fact that the rigidity can be really debilitating at times. And yeah, I think it's you'll like, notice. well, cause you feel like, well, if I don't yeah. do that, then I'm failing or I didn't do that. So now I, I basically, why do anything else kind of thing? You know, it's like, yeah. it's not all or nothing. Exactly. And there's, there's a point where it's introspection and then there's, you are being very analytical. Yeah. You are analyzing everything. Your nervous system is really up right now yeah, yeah. and you're on high alert. And that's not necessarily what we're saying about introspection. Right. It's about just being the observer of yourself, like taking that 10 foot view and actually looking down on yourself or up, whatever you want to call it, and observing how you're functioning in the day, what your thoughts are. And it's like the universe will continue to give us something that we need to see. So it's not about being overwhelmed with, I'm, I'm, you know, there's another thing I got to take, I got to take in. It's having that grounded space. And this is where meditation comes in because you need to have your nervous system regulated, but then just know like what's going to come to you is the universe's way of talking with you and supporting you. And it knows that you can handle it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that helps. No, it does. And, (laughs) and it's, it's interesting because I, I think the way that you approach it with sort of what went well, where could it have improved? I definitely like the language around what could be improved and not necessarily something that's bad because there is, I think, something to be said for the way that we speak to ourselves and, you know, that if we consider something bad, that there's shame associated with that as if we've done something wrong. And it's not necessarily that we've done anything wrong. You know, we can do something better and it doesn't mean that we did something badly and, or we can do something more consistently. And so I think that that's really helpful to acknowledge and because the way we speak to ourselves manifests in in the way we show up in the world. And the other part that you mentioned about just sort of really taking in those 
things throughout the day, it's something that I very much mentally relish and I appreciate those little moments. And then I think having a practice of writing that down and putting it somewhere where you can go back and reflect on that, it helps create sort of a compound effect of those moments in your life that gives you a greater appreciation and sense of gratitude for those little things. And it's just, you know, so much of what we do is, I don't want to say fully mindless, but like when I'm on social media, let's say I'm scrolling or something before I'm going to bed or after dinner or whatever. And it's like, there's certain content I'm engaging with. And I'm like, yes, I'm like actively interested in what's happening here. And then there's other stuff where I'm like, just kind of like, whatever, I'm numbing my brain because I'm overwhelmed or I just don't feel like thinking about anything else. And it's like those moments where everything's sort of just like shut down. I don't feel like dealing with anything else that requires like full attention feels like a good time to even just kind of take out the notebook and say, okay, I'm just going to write these things now, like bring myself back to the present, show up in a way that really gives me a sense of what my day was and how I showed up in the world and how I saw other people showing up in the world and allowing, as you said, just the space for that, because we don't, I think we just spend so much time going between, you know, this thing that we have to do and that thing that we have to do that we kind of forget what's actually happening. Yes. Oh, I love that. And I love when we kind of come back into consciousness into the present moment, because it's like, oh, snap, here I am again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. It's like you've refound yourself. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So if you like, if I'm taking emotional eating, because emotional eating was something that I have dealt with. I don't anymore. And when I was dealing with a lot of stress and eating those peanut butter M&Ms or anything sweet to give me this quick energy, I obviously wouldn't be aware because I was numbing these emotions of, you know, not being able to handle the stress or, or whatever it was, you know, it was a myriad of things over the years. And when I became more conscious of that, it's like, oh, how can I change that? So those moments of consciousness gives you that space to have the introspection to say, I'm having digestive discomfort here regularly. What's going on? I need, and then we can have the ability to seek some help, get Mm -hmm. a coach to, if we can't figure it out and, you know, to, to tie it back to the lab testing, me as a practitioner, I'm not guessing. I don't want to guess and say, here, take a probiotic take a digestive enzyme. I want to say here, you have an overgrowth of whatever you have candida. And that's obviously why you're craving some carbs. I want to be able to validate the client. Like this is what's going on and here's how we can help. Yeah. I love that you just said you want to validate the client because I think that that is something that is oftentimes missing in the medical field for patients who are seeking some sort of resolution to issues. That's not to discount medical providers who are attentive and capable. It's just, I think, probably a function of two things. One, there are dismissive practitioners, period, full stop. Any, literally any employment that somebody could have, like there are the people who do it well and the people who don't do it well, right? But when it comes to that sense of, you know, this is our body. This is our vessel by which we live, through which we live our lives. This is how we show up in the world. Like you want somebody who hears you, acknowledges you, understands you, and can help. And when you speak to that, you know, it really made me think about how earlier in the conversation you said around 
sort of like the food sensitivity testing and things like that. And I was just thinking, you know, it's interesting because I've never had a food sensitivity test and it feels like some of these things should be inherently baked in to the medical care that we get anyway. So you would know those things. And it's not like you have to wait till you have symptoms to realize that, right? So many of us go through our lives being like, I don't think I have any food sensitivities. I could easily have some that are contributing to things that I experience, but because I've never actively gone, because that would be something that I'm reactive to as per now. And I'm like, you, we are not taught to be proactive about that. We're taught to respond to the symptoms we experience, not to acknowledge that we could potentially prevent them. Yeah. And that puts money in the medical system's pocket. Yeah. Like it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like well, another episode on that. I'm I, happy to do it. <laughs> like the, And granted, doctors, they get into the industry because they do want to help people. I really do believe that. But they, in my opinion, some are indoctrinated. If you have a broken arm, go to the doctor, fix it. But if you are having digestive discomfort and the doctor isn't even asking, what are you eating? Like, hello? Like, like yeah. come on. Well, like, th- I think that there's a shift happening that we're becoming aware, like, Okay, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> right. Well, because I mean, so much of it too is like you get into the pharmaceutical side of it, especially in the States where it's like Medicaid, Medicaid, Medicaid. And listen, I understand that there can be value in medication. I'm not going to completely dismiss that. I take medication. But for most of my life, I haven't really been somebody outside of childhood who's taken vitamins and supplements. And recently I've been like, I should probably start taking things because I imagine I'm pretty deficient in a lot of things considering mm-hmm. like I I eat, I'd say relatively well, but I have, I'm like a five-year-old when it comes to like gummy candy or something like that, especially when I've been high stress, like emotional eating has been a way that I do not cope well with it, but I do it. And as you pointed out, you'll have this sort of digestive distress and yeah, you could probably point to, okay, well, I know I wasn't eating well, or I made these decisions and that could contribute to it, but it doesn't mean that I understand why those issues are there or like what it is specifically that's contributing to that. And so it actually really makes me kind of think about what, when we don't meet those needs and we're allowing ourselves to sort of continue to function with dysfunction and how does that like what happens to our overall health when we don't address those core issues of like our gut health and and those responses that we're having yeah i love that question really you're just opening yourself up for a diagnosis <laughs> to be honest yeah. and then maybe you do have to take medication for a portion of time to get some of your health back but it's really just damaging you. And like you said before, like you are your best advocate. So it's our responsibility to to take advantage of this human opportunity. You know, we're not here forever. Yeah. And why don't we want to live the best life? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't agree with that more. So, you know, as we're kind of nearing the end of our conversation, I know that we could talk about so much more. I have a couple more questions. One in particular, as we were talking about, you know, we've covered, I think, a wide variety of points around the way that we operate and getting kind of the answers that we need or trying to find a place to start. But what do you feel has helped you and could also help other people really reach that place of, I guess, inner peace that really stems from taking care of your whole self? I would say the best thing that kind of helped me was to feel validated, was to not feel like I was crazy or alone or 
had to live with these symptoms forever. And so I think what helped me the most was getting tests done because that really validated me because I was very disconnected from self. Mm -hmm. Zero, like very much in my masculine, very much structure. And that test structure helped me with in that moment when now I'm helping myself to build more of the feminine intuitive connection. Mm -hmm. So I would honestly say testing to help your validation and know that you're not alone. You're never alone. There's always answers. You can always figure it out. Like you said, you know, just continue to seek and not seek as in being analytical of like, oh, I want to improve this. Oh, I want to improve that. Just kind of observe and say, hey, I'd like to look into that, you know, before an additional symptom comes up. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it actually made me wonder, as you were saying, sort of having tests done helped validate where you were coming from. How did you ultimately decide like what tests you felt would help with what you were experiencing? Like, I think based on what we were talking about with my own current experience, I think obviously a food sensitivity test is probably important because it, I eat a lot of the same foods. And so if it's an abundance of certain types of foods, then that could easily be contributing to certain symptoms that I have. But other than sort of like a standard food sensitivity or maybe like allergy test overall, like, are there certain things that you would recommend that people consider? I know it's obviously probably pretty circumstantial and maybe not a catch all, but I guess I wouldn't even know where to start with like, well, what test should I look at? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So in my program, we run five foundational tests. So that give us gives us a clear picture of like where to start. And the food sensitivity is certainly one of them. But we're looking at your hormones. We're looking at your gut health. We're looking at your metabolic wellness health. So how is your liver? How much oxidative stress do you have? Are you able to break down protein? So it's a super comprehensive And it's not just one lab. This is a package from several labs. It really gives us a a starting place. And if we find a specific result or other symptom coming up, then we can branch out. And, you know, if we indicate there might be mold in your system or something, we can do an organic acids test. So then we kind of like branch out to see how we can provide additional support if it's needed. Mm -hmm. I repeat that. I appreciate you sharing that. It's super helpful to hear just what those baselines are for you that you provide to people and the way that you are very intentional about, like, can you zoom in on that and figure out, okay, if this is part of it, then then what do we need to hone in on? How can we get closer to resolution or relief for you? And I wish that the way that the medical mentality was, because it's not even just the system. I think it's our mentality as people who are part of the system and, and patients is, we don't know what we need unless we're kind of told that, or if we can find some of the information, how accessible is it to us? And that actually raised a question as you were talking. And I was curious, is the type of work that you do even covered by insurance companies? Because I imagine it might be based on practitioner if it is covered. But I also know that insurance companies, especially with things that are more for lack of better term, up and coming in the way that, you know, it's kind of taking ramping up that like it might not even be something that they facilitate with the coverage that they offer. So the the tests that I offer are not covered by insurance. Certainly your primary care 
there are certain tests that are valuable. I think any test is very valuable. It's just a, a window of opportunity for you to see more of yourself. However, mm-hmm. the, the functional tests that are telling you more than a basic blood panel or telling you more than, you know, one marker, like those are considered, in my opinion, those functional lab tests. And that's where they are not covered by insurance because insurance is like, they want you sick. So yeah. It's a hard pill to swallow because it's like an emergency. It's great to have insurance. My goodness. Absolutely. But they really want to keep you sick. Yeah. I I completely agree with that. And it's, it's interesting the turn of phrase. It's a hard pill to swallow. They're like, but they're shoving them down your throat to take it, you know? Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to think of that too. And I mean, because even with mental health care, so many things aren't covered. And it's disappointing because it's like we sit here and we talk about how there's this crisis. There's an opioid epidemic, which is over medication. There's a mental health crisis, but we're not addressing the needs. And it's just like the way that society is sort of breaking down right now, I feel like is the reason for the rise of wanting to be self-aware and wanting to know what you can do for yourself and finding people and practitioners who have the mindset that you do. Because a, as you said, you don't want to feel alone in it. B, you want to feel validated and know that there's some way that you can move forward and help yourself. And at the end of all of it, like it doesn't serve you to just sort of fall in line and do the thing that somebody's telling you to do if you're not getting the result that you need or the desired life that you want, you know, like your ability to live the way you want to live. Things debilitate us. Anxiety. It's a condition that can easily debilitate people. And we just kind of like, well, it's anxiety. What are you going to do about it? It's like something, (laughs) we can do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think the more that we slow down and be still, the more that we can hear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our environment is going to continue to speed up. So, (laughs) you know, just be intentional about it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, okay, last question for you. This has been such a great conversation. And as you said before, we could do probably a whole other episode on one thing, if not many other things. <laughs> so you've been working with clients for some time now, and you've found your own journey really to as an opportunity to help people move forward with issues that maybe have been similar to what you've experienced, or at least, you know, you're you're able to empathize with them and help get them on the right course to be living their best lives and feel more connected to themselves, both on a physical and emotional and psychological level. So do you have a specific vision for the future of your work in integrative health or for integrative health overall? That's such a great question. I think, you know, it's continuing to unfold as I get deeper into my work, but I would say I want women to feel deeply connected with themselves and to feel the pleasures or pleasures of life. I think honestly, that's, it's just like, why not feel the joy and the pleasures of life while we're here? And the more that we can be connected with ourselves, the more that we're connected with so many other people because we are a collective consciousness. So I think the vision is, connect with yourself. I want women to connect more with themselves and feel that power within themselves and not continue to give it away like I did and so many others of us do. And it's such a beautiful 
way to serve. Um, it can certainly come from a trauma response, but you know, I want to show women the way to take their health back. And yeah. part of that is through the diet, the rest, exercise, supplementation, but also part of it is through that nervous system regulation, those somatic experiencing tools, the meditation, the breath work, the self-pleasure, all of it. You know, it's just this combined, beautiful approach to help you be the best person that you are, that you know that you are. Yeah. So I think oh, that wow. is like this start of this vision to to unfold. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I feel like it's incredible to hear you speak that into existence, you know, and and to be able to share your insight with people is so is so meaningful, Fallon. I I walk away from this conversation with a lot more to think about, which I I love. I a big part of this podcast for me has been allowing myself to sort of shed my own expectations of myself, of the world around me. And what you've shared today has really just fed my soul, my mind, and really, you know, has helped me consider the way that I am treating myself. You know, I I think, I don't think, I know that my life, I have been very reactive to any sort of physical or mental conditions that I've had. And it's great to know that I've gotten to a place where I've done the work to help myself, but it does really beg the question, what if I had started sooner? Or what if I had been willing to be more open-minded and approached things in a more proactive way? And so it's really meaningful to be able to leave a conversation like this and feel like, okay, I have to be responsible for myself now. So thank you for that. Hmm. Yeah. And I love, like, I feel like we are developing this friendship, even absolutely you know, just having a podcast episode. I love it's it. I feel like it's one of the best things joy. about this. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no. I was just going to say it. it's been such a joy. And I too have those same, same thoughts. And I think, you know, just I continue to say to myself, and it's kind of like my developed motto is heal together, rise together. And it. we are there to pick each other up because we all have these points of of kind of not taking responsibility or kind of like being like, oh, yeah, I know that's happening, but I'll get to it. And that's OK. That's all OK. But just I, I'm glad that this conversation has helped. I think it's even helped lifted my spirits. And I just feel super grateful to to be on here with you. Yeah, likewise. I, I'm definitely looking forward to continuing the conversations moving forward. And and it's such a gift to be able to have this show, to be able to meet people like yourself, because, you know, it really makes me think about in another world, like when do, when do you meet people, especially now when we're not out interacting the way that we historically have. So, you know, it's great to be able to be so many miles away in different countries and feeling that sense of deep connection with people who you might not have met face to face, but I think it really makes the case for the fact that it's not about physical presence all the time. I certainly think physical presence enhances connection. That's not, that's not debatable in my, in my opinion, but because I think energetically things change when you're interacting with people, but it's really beautiful to know that we're not limited by distance and time. It's just something that can kind of, as you said earlier, flow and and bring people together in a really organic way. So I really appreciate you being here and gang. That is all for this episode of Who the Fuck. So if you would like to learn more, Fallon, can you tell them where they can find you? 
Yes. You can find me on Instagram at Fallon Hunter Morningstar, or you can feel free to email me, which is discover at FallonMorningstar.com. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we will catch you next time, gang. Thanks for listening to Who the Fuck. And if you like what you hear, share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else you think needs a healthy dose of introspection and raw authenticity. Feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated. And you can also visit whothefck.com to check out more content. Plus, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at whothefck underscore pod to keep up to date with what's new in my world and for exclusive bonus content. Catch you on the flip side. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. Electricast.